Well, good morning. What do we have, like two weeks before Christmas? So it's, it's creeping upon us, and we are here, and uh, by God's providence, we will find ourselves in a perfect place at Christmas time in, in Romans chapter 3, but this morning, we're going to narrow our focus down on verses 5 to 8, although we're going to read verses 1 to 8 to keep in context. There's an argument um, that Paul is being made, and a rather complex one argument that he's making because he's using questions that he's supposing that people are asking. And so it's, I want you to see that it's, it's actually a simple argument, a profound argument, but one that we have to understand. It'll only be understood if we understood it in context this morning. And so let's stand to our feet as we look at the second part of a two-part series here on the faithfulness of God. In Romans 3, in verse 1, the Word of God says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true Though every one were a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Let's pray together. Lord, this is Your Word. There is some freeing truths in here today. Oh God, help us to understand those of us with families that are experiencing death and illness and some very close to us and we can come in with carrying great burdens. But Lord, help us today. This is your word and there is freedom in your word. There is conviction in your word. There is healing in your word today. For us who need it the most. Bring repentance in the house of God. So that we may take the gospel to the nations. In spirit and in truth. With a clean conscience. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. So in in high school. Had a guy. I I won't call his name. Because you know. It's a small world. But I could be with him. Doing something that we probably should neither one have been done. And then he gets questioned about it, you know, like three days later. And he's lying about it. But he's so good at it that I'm believing him. You know, and I was there. I know he did it. But he was so good at lying. I used to say, I think this guy believes in himself. That he can be so good at it, that he seems like he has bought his own medicine. 
He is self-deceived. And, and to some degree today, that's one of the things I want us to see today. We oftentimes willingly choose to ignore something that we know is true, or we swallow things that we know is destructive. Scripture has been teaching us some things in, in chapters 1 to 3. And we've gleaned in, in Romans 3 some truths that we must not ignore. And some of them are just rather sobering, but the Bible as a whole says they're true. The, the first biblically indisputable truth that I want you to see, and the argument that Paul's making hinges on verse 3 today, is this question, what if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? He's, he's being rather modest there if he's speaking of the Jewish people. Because by and large, though many individual Jews have put their faith in Jesus Christ and come to, come to faith, most have not. This unfaithfulness equals disbelief. It equals distrust. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And here's just a sobering truth today from Matthew 7, 13. And you know this verse. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is what? Wide. And the way is easy. That leads where? Destruction. And those who enter in are what? Many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard. That leads to life. And the people who find it, a few. That's the principle. That's the truth. And it's sobering. It's a burden that those who want to take the gospel to the nations carry that we present the gospel. Many will not believe. The other second truth we see in verse 6 of our text is God's going to judge the world. Genesis 18 Abraham is having a conversation with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to what he says. Genesis 18, 25. Far be it to you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So what does Abraham call God from the word go? Judge. It is indisputable. God will judge the world. And what we, have, what we saw last week, this is what raises this argument, this questions that he's going to ask. Our unfaithfulness has no ability to undermine God's faithfulness. And praise the Lord for that. This is what verse 3, beginning in verse 4, he says, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify or make nothing or prove unprofitable the faithfulness of God? He said, by no means. By no means. His glory, His plans, God's desires are unstoppable. And Paul's been clear in chapter 2. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentiles in the matter of God's wrath and judgment. The Jews have Plenty of privileges. And all of that does is raise their responsibility. Remember, they had the law. They had the covenant. They had circumcision. 
So their responsibility was high because their privilege was high, but they thought that gave them a leg up with God, and it didn't. So he's being clear. But as soon as he makes this clear, what Paul's doing in this letter is he's presuming the questions that someone's going to ask you. And listen, if you're a good teacher, you always do this. If you're a good pastor, you always do this. What are they going to ask me? Somebody says, hey, hey, you know, Joe's here to see you. And Joe's walking down the hallway coming into the office. I'm thinking, what does Joe want, what does Joe want to talk about? What, 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 is this, what is this going on? I got it. By the time they hit the, the seat, we've done narrowed it down to three things. So he's presuming, here's the question. If the Jews' failure to believe only magnifies God's faithfulness, is it unfair for God to judge them? So he's, that's the question. He's thinking the Jewish people immediately, once they process this, they're going to say that. Hold on a second. If, if our unbelief as, as the Jewish people only brings God more glory, it only makes the stars shine brighter, then isn't it really unfair that God to judge us. If you got your outline at the top, the main idea says mankind looks for almost any way to justify their sin before a holy God. But all those who stand will stand condemned. This is the bad news that we have to understand before we get to the good news. He's getting there. He's getting there. I know we're getting there real slow. But he's getting there. But so let's bring this Jewish question into our day. How can God judge me if God uses my unfaithfulness, if he uses my sin to accomplish his righteous purpose anyway? I just want us to see right from the word go that we seek to escape God's judgment and justify our sin any which way we can. And listen, this will help you as a believer to have a conversation with somebody because you know this is true. You're trying to get to the gospel. The, the truth is simple. What we're getting at, we're getting people to the cross, you know. And what do they say? Yeah, 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 but what about this? But what about... What about divorce, sir? What about women pastors? Or uh, you know, th- what are you sitting there going? So we're getting right to the issue of their sin before a holy God, and what are they going to do? They're going to deflect it. So that's what's going on here. But understand their reasoning is is to be able to understand Paul's argument. So doesn't the Scripture say? That God has this amazing supernatural ability to bring good out of the darkest places and the darkest people. Yeah, I mean, boy, we can just list people in the Bible that they, that they, they meant it for evil and God used it for good. There we go to Joseph or his brothers. I mean, it's just, it's just over and over in Scripture. We said, okay. Well, if God gets glory from our rejection or our disobedience or our sin, then God would be unrighteous if he held us accountable for something. I mean, really, God should thank us because 
We're partners with Him. I mean, the more sinful I get, the more good and gracious and loving, besides in the end, God's going to swallow it all up with love anyway, right? This reminds us of Romans 1.18. What happens when we begin to suppress the truth? Can lose our minds completely. And though you might say, I would never say that. Here's, here's what they're getting at. Here's the question. This knowing at them. Is God sovereign over everything? Even my unfaithfulness, verse 3. So let's just bring up a timeless example that always comes up. Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Now there are things that are implicit in the Bible that are really hard to understand. And there are things that we call explicit that's really clear. Now you tell me what this is. Exodus 9, verse 16. The Lord God says, but for this purpose I have raised you. Who is you? Pharaoh. I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now he's going to come back to this in Romans 9 and so are we. Because he uses this quote exactly. So there's this question, can unbelief and unfaithfulness and disobedience stop God's eternal redemptive kingdom plans? Not on your life. But the rationalization is clear that if God is sovereign over everything, He is sovereign over Pharaoh. And if He's sovereign over over Pharaoh, then it is unfair for God to judge Pharaoh. Because He raised him up. Right? God is sovereign. Pharaoh wouldn't have been in that position unless God put him there. Then it's really... God can't hold him responsible. How can God punish people when he uses their evil and unbelief to his righteous ends? Here's my point. I know you want me to go in, you know, let's, let's have a three-week exegesis on the sovereignty of God. The point is, that's a deflecting question. And that all we're wanting to do is deflect from our responsibility and our sin, and listen, the truth that the Bible says God is sovereign. And He's sovereign over everything. Colossians 1.16, you know this passage. Talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. It said, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Psalms 115.3 says, Our God is in the heaven, and He does anything He pleases. That's what it means to be sovereign. Romans chapter 11 says this in verse 33, Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him? 
that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. What does that mean? God is sovereign. And yet, God has a plan. Coming towards Christmas, God has a plan. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound. And you remember who said this is speaking about me. He's got a plan. He is sovereign. And he made that plan before the foundation of the world. The cross is not a response. The cross was the plan. Isaiah 25 said the plan ends at a point. Isaiah 25 and verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. (laughs) Put it down. He's coming back, and when He does, He's bringing something brand new. So if God is sovereign over everything, because that's exactly what Scripture teaches us, including my unfaithfulness, then how can He hold me responsible? That's the question of the Jewish people. And so let's just bring up good old Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, he's the one that will come up anyway when we talk about these issues. What does Scripture say? Judas was predicted and fulfilled Old Testament Scripture. Psalms 41.9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel up against me. In John 17 and verse 12, the Lord said in his prayer, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Oh, God is sovereign. But listen, here's what else scripture says Judas was full of greed, and he absolutely loved it. John 12, verse 6. Remember that perfume bottle and it broke? It was expensive. Judas was complaining. Why don't we use it to help the poor? Uh, John says in John 12, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. (laughs) And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put in it. In John 13, 2, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas suppressed the truth of Jesus Christ. But Judas was doing exactly what Judas desired to do. He was making choices from his highest desire, like everybody else does in the world. And for that, he is responsible. And listen, a little sidebar here. Because you live long enough, you lead long enough, and you love long enough, you're going to have a Judas in your life. You will. If he ain't happened yet, he's coming. And here's what you'll end up doing. Doubting your calling. 
Doubting your faith. Doubting your leadership. And so here's just the question. Was there something deficient in Jesus' life and ministry that led Judas to do this? No. So don't believe that lie. Judas was responsible for what Judas did. And Judas became a traitorous devil. Matter of fact, Luke 16 is 616 was just one. They always called him after this. He was identified as a traitor. Judas' desires brought him to anger. Anger brought him to bitterness. Bitterness brought him to resentment. And resentment brought him to betrayal. And listen, you may not believe this or you do. It doesn't matter, but the scripture is clear. Judas opened himself up to the demonic by the secret sins he tolerated in the presence of truth. He opened up the windows of his soul. It's a sobering reality, but listen, Judas was absolutely responsible. Matthew 26, 24, the Lord said, The Son of Man goes that is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have better for that man to never have been born. Can Judas stand up at the judgment and say, God, you should give me the biggest reward. Because if it wouldn't have been for me, then you wouldn't have been betrayed. And if you wouldn't have been betrayed, you wouldn't have been able to offer a sentence of atonement. And so I really did you a favor. No, if we go back to our text now, Romans 3, just look at the end of verse 8. Judas, Pharaoh, and the Jews who don't believe are condemned and they deserve it. It's not my, not my words. His con- God's condemnation is always perfect and it is always just. Listen, another sidebar. I don't normally do two in one message, but this one's important because there's a lot of weak theology out there. Judas went to hell not because he killed himself, but because he rejected the King of glory. The same way that anybody else that goes to hell is. They rejected him. Preacher, I'm... I'm not satisfied with your explanation of sovereignty and responsibility. You could have done a whole lot better job with that. That's exactly Paul's point. Often, our deflecting questions points us to our rationalization and our self-justification of our sin rather than simply accepting the truth of God's Word and bringing our lives in conformity to that truth. That's first. Before we scratch our head, or as as John MacArthur once said, before you try to unscrew the inscrutable, we better submit ourselves to the truth of what God's Word says. And so here's what Paul does. It is simply, and it's the reason why you have to see verse 3 to verse 8 as a a whole, and really from verse 1 to 8, it's a whole unit here. I'm just going to ask some simple questions to understand Paul's argument here, what he's doing, because you could miss it. What he's, what he's getting at is he's, he's looking at the Jewish people. Remember, they're at the coffee shop. They're, they're having coffee. And the Jewish guy says, you know, if what you say is true, 
God can't even hold me responsible because he's sovereign over it anyway. And listen, if you talk to enough people, you're going to have that coffee conversation. And so what he does is he reaches in and takes an argument that the Jewish people believe. He finds something that they believe without a doubt. They're convicted on it. And so he asks, this is his question. Are the Gentiles sinful? Oh, yeah. The guy would say sip his coffee. He's a bad dude's in trouble. They're jacked up. I mean, they go to them prostitutes, them temples. They worship a whole bunch of gods. I mean, they're in double trouble. So he says, okay, I, I agree. Will the Gentiles be judged? Oh, yeah. The Jewish people believe without a doubt that God would judge the world. They just didn't believe he was going to judge them. I mean, they loved the text, probably the sheep and the goats, because they thought they was the sheep and all y'all people the goats. Y'all in trouble. We get in. We're Jewish. Abraham's our father. They're saying, get them. Yeah, we believe in the judgment. Then he said, well, hold on a second. Is God sovereign over the Gentiles? Now think about that a little bit. Just don't think, think, think past it. Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of the heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? They would have to say, Of course he's sovereign over the Gentiles. So Gentiles sin, Gentiles are going to be judged, and God, yet God is sovereign over the Gentiles? Here's this question for him. Why do you think you get a pass? If we all agree that the Gentiles are going to be are, are sinful, and we all agree that they're going to be judged, and we even agree that God's sovereign over them, if your argument is true, then God doesn't have the right to judge them either. But he says, we all know that Scripture says they are going to be judged. So why do you think that you get a pass? 1 Peter 4.17 says, It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's what he's getting at with this simple but profound argument. Your reasoning is twisted up. Your reasoning is twisted. I see your questions, but by your own belief... By your own non-negotiables, this argument does not, does, falls by the race, wayside. What we are doing is rationalizing and justifying our sin rather than agreeing with God that we all need a Savior. There is a sobering warning I wanted us to see this week. Be careful not to play games with Scripture. Or come up with wild philosophical objections to hide the reality of God's holiness or to deflect the wretchedness of our sinfulness. Those two are absolutely without arguing scripture. And of all the questions that can be rolling around in our head, these two are essential 
And so we have to ask the question this morning, where do we stand on this issue? Either Scripture is true, and if Scripture is true, we will all be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Or, Scripture is not true, and no one will be judged. If Scripture is not true, then Rob Bell is right, and love wins. And I will say as kindly as I can, Jesus, no, Jesus died. And He died not to simply give you an example on how to live. He died to be a wrath-removing substitute for those who could not save themselves. That's why He died. Scripture is true. And all people have a problem before God, the holy judge of all the earth. Listen to Revelation 20. We've read it before. Let's read it again. Revelation 20, verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Verse 13, And the sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it, in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And yet for some, and we can go back now to Romans 3 and verses 8 and 9, they still weren't quite satisfied and They say, well, still part of the same argument. Still sounds like I can just be a really great sinner because Jesus Christ is a really great Savior. Verse 8 says, And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. They are, they are making an argument that, that Paul, you're, sa- you're saying we are saved by faith alone. And if we're really saved by faith alone, that's just going to lead for people to live however they want to. You can't get to the right place by going the wrong way. And I'm not going to get into this deep because Romans 6 does and Romans 6 is coming. But just so we understand this morning, God has never declared one person righteous without first regenerating that person. God's never declared them righteous without what Ezekiel said is to remove a heart of stone and to put in a heart of flesh. That changes the nature of that person. That means that person who hates the things of God now loves the things of God. The things that they used to love, they now hate. There's a war that begins inside of them. And In other words, redeemed people Act like their Redeemer. No exceptions. So he gets at the end. Their condemnation is just. The argument, he's saying, is sound. And you must answer it. 
So let's get some gospel clarity this morning as we, as we close. Turn with me to Galatians. I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation just because I love it and it's clear and, and uh, I enjoy it in my own personal life. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 10. There it's worded a little different, but I think it can bring some clarity. It says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed everyone who does not obey, observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Verse 11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way, this way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he has hung on the cross, he took on himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham so that, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. This is the issue. And listen, if we ourselves or even in our engagement with other people, keep allowing people to skirt the gospel issue and get us on all of these tangents without getting Christ right, without getting the cross right, without getting the resurrection right, without getting that no one can be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ, then all of those tangential issues are mute and void. and They can believe them all and still go straight to hell. So the question this morning is, is my thinking twisted? Am I I rationalizing right now a secret sin in my life? Can I even understand what was said? This is a big question. If you're watching online or here. Did you understand what I just said? Did you understand what the Bible is saying? Did you understand... Galatians 3.10, because here's the issue. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ this morning? And can you receive what the Lord has just taught you? Because if, if you can't and you didn't, the Bible's calling you to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ so you can experience what was described as Nicodemus as, the new birth. But here's some questions. What lies are you believing this morning? Listen, all of us are believing some kind of lie. If you counsel people or if you've been counseled, and they don't get to this point eventually, they're not much of a counselor. What lies are you believing? 
Because often, hidden down in here somewhere, is that my sin, not yours, yours matter, (laughs) but my sin, my secret sin, my respectable sin, my nobody's perfect sin, doesn't really matter to God. God's grace will cover it anyway. It's a dangerous, twisted mindset. This is just the way I am. God made me this way. I can't help but I pop off on people. God made me a hothead. I can't help it that I don't share the gospel. God made me an introvert. Oh, oh, ow. My right foot just started hurting. Or to think, you know, the ends justify the means anyway. <laughs> How many times have we heard this in Kings Mountain? Man, if I just won that lottery, I'd build a, I'd build a new place for the homeless, you know. I'd give, I'd give a bunch of money to the church. I mean, wouldn't God be glorified in that? Unholy means simply produces dirty money or dirty anything else. I used it to help people. Isn't he glorified in that? Why does he care how I, how I got it? What does he care what I, what I did? He don't care as long as I use it to the right ends. No, God is glorified in your life. Your life. It is your life that is worship to him. And when we do anything else other than that, your life is what kind of student you are. Your life is what kind of mama you are. Your life is what kind of employee or employer that you are. That is your worship. Not just trying to get to some end where we can check a box off. Here's one. You know, yeah, I... I'm having sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my fiance, but you know, I've already married them in my heart anyway. <laughs> no, you've never heard that one before, have you? Violating God's plan and God's purposes always has a consequence. Now and later, it's only a picture, Pastor. It was only a chat, it's only a message to someone who's not my spouse. Because, you know, my spouse isn't giving me what I need, and the Lord knows what I need anyway. If my business prospers, I can give more. So if I have dirty books, and nobody knows it, and all people know is he gives, he's a generous man, gives to all kind. Isn't that what matters? The Bible says you stand condemned. And you need to repent. Because the ends don't justify the means. We live out the means under God's sovereign grace. Just like we trust in the ends. We reflect Him in the means. Let us not justify our sin. Because justifying our sin leads to condemnation and consequences. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for holiness, without which no one will see to the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled.
And so, brothers and sisters, this was my, my plea, my simple point this morning. That I know there's a lot of questions that we run into. And a lot of questions that our friends have. But I taught you the three circles. Do you remember them? God's design. Our brokenness. And the gospel. Do you remember that? It is that simple gospel. That we must stay focused on. With all of the other issues. That we can have a conversation about with later. Let's make sure that we ourselves and that other people get the gospel right and get the gospel right first. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word for this season that reminds us that you sent your son to come and save sinners of whom we are all chief. But, oh God, we have been saved by your grace. We have all had our but God moment. Lord, we pray that we all in this room have and all watching my two. If not, the day is the day of salvation. Oh God, if someone is listening to me today and knows not your son as their Savior and their Lord has given their whole life lock, stock, and barrel to, to Him. Would you, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring salvation today for the glory of your name, for the furtherance of your kingdom. And Lord, if us as, as children, if we need to, before we come to the tables now, if we need to repent for that respectable sin, for that secret sin, for our rationalizing our sinfulness is no big deal. Lord, would we lay those things before you because you love us, gave your son so that we might repent and be forgiven, so that we may come to the table in a worthy way. So, Lord, we now want to worship you in song in communion with you, your son, and your church, through our giving that supports your church. And so, Lord, you be glorified in these things. In Jesus' name.